You're listening to Family Life at Cornerstone. A weekly devotion about what's going on in the life of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. I'm Justin Wheeler. I'm the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we're going to continue our study in The Gospel for Real Life, this book by Jerry Bridges that we've been reading over the year as a family together and hopefully discussing not only in our families but also in our community groups. And this week we're going to be reading uh, chapter 12 about the children of God. That's the title of the chapter. And really the way I want to start this off is just asking the question, what does it mean to be a child of God? How does this title apply? Does it apply to everyone? Is everyone a child of God because we have been created by God? Well, no, not exactly. And if that title does not apply to everyone, then who does it apply to? How do we obtain this title? And really, why should we? What are the benefits of such an affiliation? Well, the Bible is going to answer all of these questions. And the first way that we can answer the question is, how do we become a child of God? Well, we can look to, uh, we can look to the Gospel of John, chapter one. Now, this is how the the Gospel opens up. It it's very poetic. It's very beautiful in how it opens up, explaining to us where Christ has come from. But it, but it says this to us. It says that Jesus is the true light that is coming into the world. It's coming to his own people, but his own people did not receive him. Here, here's how it says it in John 1, 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we need to ask some questions there. What does it mean to receive him? It says that he came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. But those who did receive him, he gave this right to be the children of God. Well, what does it mean to receive him? Well, you go back and you read verse 12. It says, to all who did receive him, comma, who believed in his name. To receive the Lord Jesus Christ is to believe in him. It's to trust in him by faith. And for those who have trusted in Christ by faith, we have been given the right to be the children of God. Now, there's a lot more going on there. But being a child of God, being part of the family of God, is not for everyone. It's for those who believe in Christ. And this is made more clear in John chapter 3, which I won't go into right now. But the point of this chapter is to say, now, those who believed in Christ, those who come to Christ by faith, we've been given this right. We've obtained through faith this affiliation of being the sons of God. And what are the, the benefits of this? Maybe we don't think about this very often. Well, the truth is that we should, and that's what this chapter is all about, that we should not only think about this, but we should think about this often, and we should think deeply about it. Now, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John also wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And if you go to 1st John chapter 3, verse 1, here's what you're going to read. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Now, the language there is really important. It's really powerful to this argument. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us. Now, that word behold is not a word we use that often today. 
It's a word that doesn't just mean, hey, look at that. It's a word that means stop and think. It's a word that means ponder this, meditate on this, consider this. It means fix your thoughts on this and don't let your thoughts be taken away. Behold, look at the love of God that has been shown to us that brings us into the family of God and allows us to be called the children of God. This is an amazing Truth. This is an incredible truth, and John gets really excited about it, both in his gospel and in these letters, and it's something that he wants us to think about very deeply. It's an amazing reality. But the question is, what is so amazing about it? What is the big deal? And that's what Jerry Bridges is going to pick up with on on page 126. What is the big deal about being part of the children of God? Well, first of all, we can, we can understand how important this is by remembering where we've come from and looking forward to where we're going to be. So let's look in the past and let's look to the future. Number one, looking back to the past, this is an amazing reality because we know where we've come from. And we know where we've come from because we have been saved from our sin. We have been saved by Christ from the judgment that we rightly deserve, the wrath of God that we rightly deserve. And we've been bought into relationship with God as a result. So here's the analogy that Bridges uses on page 126. He says, here's an analogy. Think of a condemned rebel who has tried to assassinate the king and overthrow the king's government. Now, this this individual, this single act of rebellion against uh, an authority is worthy of death. This is an act of treason. But in reality, if you carry that over to a spiritual understanding, we have, as rebels, committed a, a severe act of treason against our sovereign God. And we are awaiting execution. We are deserving of not just death by firing squad, but we're deserving of instant death. We are deserving of instant wrath. We are deserving of eternal ruin. And yet, in Christ, this is, this is the reality of the gospel, in Christ, instead of death, we get eternal life. Instead of wrath, we receive God's blessing and favor. Instead of eternal ruin, we are made co-heirs with Jesus. And all of this happened without us doing a single thing to earn God's favor. God has bestowed this upon us at his own cost. And he's done it for all of those who believe. Now, that's the first part of this. That's one of the things that makes this reality so amazing is that we have been saved from the, the, what we rightly deserve in our sin. But let's look ahead a little bit. If we are to live in the presence of God for all eternity, then we need to be brought into God's family. That's what Jerry Bridges says on page 127. And God has done just that. He has not only justified us, he's not only saved us from our sin and our destruction, but he has made us family members. He's brought us into his own family. He's given us a place at the table. And in theological terms, this is called adoption. But this is much more than just the way we use the term adoption today. So let's look at these two things. There's two ways that we would understand that our status has changed. What has happened to bring us into a familiar relationship with God is two things. Number one, we have been born again. So 
there's, there's two ways that you can be part of a family. Number one, you can be born into that family naturally, physically, or you can be adopted into that family. And here's the beauty of what the gospel means. Today, you, you can't be both. You can either be born into a family or you can be adopted into a family. But spiritually speaking, both of these things have occurred to those who trust in Christ. Now, John's gospel, Jesus was the first one to introduce to us this language of needing to be born again. In John chapter 3, in verse 8, he's having this conversation with Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, and uh, he's talking about coming into the kingdom. And Jesus says, hey, you cannot come into my kingdom. No one can enter into my kingdom unless he is born again, born of the water and born of the Spirit. Now, John takes this idea and he teases it out a lot for us. He talks about it throughout his letters, uh, about our born-again status, our being born from above, being the children of God. But we also see this idea of being born again in 1 Peter chapter 1. So I'm going to read to you 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 22 and 23, and and this is Peter just reveling in this gospel reality for us. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, and by that I think he's talking about your obedience to the gospel truth, for a sincere and brotherly love, you are to love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since or because you have been born again. So he doesn't say that in order to be born again, we love one another from an earnestly pure heart. No, he says, because you have been born again, that's why you love. Love doesn't cause us to be born again, but being born again causes us to love. But here's the issue. Since you have been born again. So we've been born by the power of the Spirit of God. We have been born again, and we've been born into the family of God. Now, that's, that's something that's taken place. In a very real and spiritual way, we have been born as sons of God. But we've also not just been born into the family of God by this spiritual reality, but we've also been adopted into the family by God's own doing. So I'm going to give you another passage of Scripture, and this is going to come from Galatians chapter 4. You can look at others, too. In the book, there's several. Romans 8 is included in here. But Galatians chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6 really help us to see the picture that, uh, that our adoption paints for us. So here's Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We are no longer slaves, but we are sons. And if we are sons, then we are heirs through God. Now, this is a beautiful picture for us, that we are adopted. But what does it mean to be adopted? Well, for one, we can go back and we can think that we were, we were rebels, we were on death row, but God pardoned us because of what Christ did on the cross. And now, not only has he pardoned us, but he has brought us into his royal family. What an amazing reality. We go from being rebels, we go from being haters of God, we go from being enemies of God, not just to being pardoned and able to go free into the world, but being pardoned and now welcomed into the family of God. We've been adopted we are sons. Now, there's still more meaning to this. The idea that Galatians chapter 4 paints for us is that we have received adoption as sons. We are no longer um, slaves, but we are heirs. 
Now, being an heir with Christ means that we, we, are, we have the same rights of citizenship. We have the same rights as sonship that Jesus himself has, which is incredible given where we've come from. This is amazing. Think of what this means. Here's what uh, Bridges says on the bottom of page 129 and on to page 130. He says, As far as status is concerned, the brand new believer in Christ comes into the family of God with the full rights of an adult son. Now, practically speaking, this new believer is just a spiritual baby. This, this new believer needs to be discipled from other mature Christians. But at the same time, He or she has all the rights and all the privileges of full-grown sons. So whether we are babes in Christ or mature believers, we all have the same privilege of being sons of God, co-heirs with Jesus, and being able to address God as our Father. And that's an incredible reality. And as a new believer, I had no concept of all this. I was just thankful to be forgiven of my sin and have the hope of eternal life. But I didn't understand the realities here. I didn't understand the depth of this, that I had been saved in my rebellion by a loving God and that I had been adopted into his family as a full-fledged son. Now, there are some illustrations you can probably think of, but... I always think that the best illustrations are biblical illustrations because they're always true. They're never wrong. They're never false. So here's a biblical illustration of what this looks like. Think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son was born into his father's family, and he had all the rights and privileges that he could that that that, that status afforded him, that his birth afforded him. But he rebelled against his father. He took his inheritance, he wished his father dead, and he left, and he went out into the world on his own. But after he had spent everything, after he had thrown his life away, after he had squandered his father's loving inheritance, this son comes to himself and realizes the love of the father. And he rushes back to his father. He rushes back and he rehearses his uh, apology and he has true contrition, right? But what does the father do to him? The father quickly brings him in, kisses his neck, clothes him with the best robe, puts shoes on his feet, puts a ring on his finger, and that ring symbolizes that he now has the full right of being a member of the family. He can do business in the father's name. Now this is what's happened for us. We have the authority, the the ability, the rights of sonship. And this is incredible for us to remember. And and here's the point, because remember, this, this book is about what does the gospel mean for me today? How can I live in light of the amazing realities of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And here's what Bridges says on the bottom of page 130. We should never lose sight of this fact, for it is tremendous for us, the contrast between what we once were and what we have now become by His grace. The fact that we are His sons is amazing. We have been redeemed from slavery to sin and Satan. We have been clothed with the robe of Christ's perfect righteousness, and we have been given status as sons in God's royal household. No wonder John says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. Now, That's the theological side of things. That's the spiritual side of things. We need to be remembering this theological truth, this biblical truth about ourselves, and let it fuel the way we live. And let it remind us of how the Father looks upon us. Even when we sin today, 
Our confidence should not be shaken. And that's what we're going to look at in the next chapter. The confident assurance that comes from the realities of the gospel. But we need to understand that God made us sons. God made us daughters. God brought us into his family. And God has given us a place at his table. And he's etched our name on the chair. And that happened from before the foundation of the world. In other words, nothing I do today is going to take me out of that position. Even the sins and the failures of today, God has a purpose for those. God has a plan for those. God has grace for those. Now, I want to grow beyond my, my, my fallenness, my brokenness. I want to grow beyond my constant battling with sin. I want to honor the Father who loves me. But when I do fail, when I do stumble, I need to be reminded that my Father still loves me. And He may discipline me in His love for me, but He still loves me, and I'm still His child. Now, there's one more thing that Bridges talks about. He says, what does it really mean? How do we really benefit? What are the benefits of this reality of God being our Father? And he talks about how difficult this is for some folks because not everyone had a good father to compare you know, to. But God is not a failing father. God is not an absent father. God is not a deserting father. God is a perfect father. He's a perfectly loving father. He is a perfectly patient father. He's a perfectly kind father. He's an all-knowing father. And there are some fatherly responsibilities that God has assumed in his relationship to us. And he, Bridges mentions these. I'll just read through them because they're so helpful, so encouraging. Number one, God provides for us. God provides for our needs. Some of us know what it's like not to have a father who provides for us. Well, God always provides for us. Our God will meet all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. Our God, our Father, provides for us. Not only that, but He protects us. He knows what our needs are and He cares for those needs, but He also knows what our fears are and He comforts us in the midst of our fears. He protects us. God also encourages us. The Spirit of God that the Father has given to us, that He has poured out upon us, encourages us. Encourages us um, in, in all of our relationships. He listens to us as our Father, but He encourages us. Not only that, but he comforts us. He is the God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians says, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others who are in trouble with the comfort that we have received from the Father. And then fifthly, and this is not last, but it's just the last on this list, God disciplines us. God disciplines us. A loving father doesn't turn a blind eye to his son's or his daughter's sin or failings, but he disciplines us in his love so that we can grow and we can share in his holiness. That comes out of Hebrews chapter 12. So this relationship, while it is deeply theological, it's also deeply practical. God provides, protects, encourages, comforts, and disciplines us, and this is happening in our lives every single day. As, and it's comforting to know all of these things. We have this relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to praise Him for it. And we need to remember it. So if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at CBC Wiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thanks for listening.